last week as we started 2 Peter, one of the things that I told you, kind of a thematic uh, element in, in 2 Peter, sorry, I just said 1 Peter, in 2 Peter is that Peter knew that he was about to die. All right, God had supernaturally given him the insight that there wasn't a lot of, le- of time left on this earth for Peter. At the time, he found himself in a Roman prison, and he had already had all the threats and the, 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 the knowledge that there was a good chance that the Roman government was going to kill him. At the time, Rome was being led by a crazy emperor. And when I mean crazy, I mean crazy. If you go back and study Emperor Nero, who was the, the Caesar of the time, if you, if you studied out who he was and what he was all about, the guy was berserk, crazy man. And he was leading this, the world-ruling empire of the time, Rome. And so Peter, being imprisoned by the, the, the Roman government there, knew that it was a short amount of time. But on top of that, God had spoken to him, it, it appears, and specifically told him, hey, your time is almost up on this planet. And so what Peter did is he did what any good apostle would do. He wrote a letter to the Christians that would follow after him and gave them some insight and some encouragement and some things to, for them to meditate on and think about and learn and understand because he knew he wasn't going to be around to encourage them much longer. And so what we see in 2 Peter are some matters of life and death. That's what I told you. We're going to see some things where Peter says, hey, this matters for life. This matters for death. And there's going to be a path toward life and a path toward death. And it's all going to come at you in these coming years. Little did he know that here we are 2,000 years later and we're still in that same process of there's things about life and things about death that are surrounding us. And the other thing that we, we really honed in on last week in chapters or in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1 is we saw that Peter greeted us as people with a faith of equal standing to his. He said, you guys are the people, go back there and see it if you want, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. And as we dug into that a little bit, we talked about the fact that as Christians, we've been given the righteousness of Christ. That's why we can say we stand with an equal faith of St. Peter, the apostles, because we've been given the righteousness of Christ. It's not of our own doing, but it's a free gift of God in grace that's been given to us. It's kind of overwhelming. You're like, oh, I don't think I should call myself somebody like Peter that has the same faith as he had. But we do. We have an equal standing because our identity is in Christ. Now, with that in mind, as we we get into this next couple of verses here today, I want to ask you a question. Is it hard for you to live life as a Christian? Now, before you answer that, it's probably a trick question, right? Is it hard to live life as a Christian? And, and let, me, let me fill that out a little bit more. Is it hard for you to obey the things that God calls you to in the Bible? There's some things you read, you're like, yeah, I can do that. I was born doing that. And there's other things that may be not so easy, right? Is it hard for you to love your enemies? Is it hard to return good for evil? Is it hard to pray without ceasing? Is it hard to deny yourself and take up your cross daily? 
there's some things probably in your life that you're like, ah, that's really hard to make jive with the way that I am called to live as a Christian, right? So first, if I tell you, hey, is it hard to live life as a Christian? You might be a good church-going citizen, and you're like, no, it's, it's great. It's the easiest way to live. But then you get a little deeper, and you're like, ugh, actually... It's kind of easy in that way and this way, and I'm a lot happier as a Christian. I'm full of joy and peace, and I understand things that I didn't understand, and I don't fear death like I used to, or there may be some things that come easy to you, but there's also probably some things that are kind of tough, kind of hard. It is for me, I'll, I'll tell you that much. So why is that? Why is it hard when we see some of these things? We believe it. We have faith. We know our identities in Christ. We have a faith of equal standing of St. Peter. So why is it difficult for us? Well, as I said, we've been given the righteousness of Jesus, but sometimes we only see the wretchedness of ourselves. If you're going along in the little sermon notes and filling in the blank, that's your first fill in the blank. We've been given the righteousness of Jesus, but sometimes we only see the wretchedness of ourselves. We struggle with attitudes and behaviors that we know are not from God. We struggle with that. You're not the only one. And it seems at times impossible to put those things behind us. Have you ever read parts of the Bible and and you understand the command that's in the scripture and you're like, that's impossible. Like, there's no way I can do that. Maybe somebody else can do that. Maybe somebody who's a little mellower naturally. Somebody who doesn't have, you know, an Irish anger somewhere in their history. Or maybe you don't understand the the family I was raised in that gives me these kind of natural predispositions towards this or towards that. Maybe it's easy for some people, but for me, I don't know. It seems impossible. But what do we know? Scripture also tells us, with God, nothing is impossible. Jesus himself told us that in Matthew 19.26. It says, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Peter had experienced true transformation in his life. True transformation. And he knew its source. He knew what caused that change in him. He knew what transformed his life. It wasn't therapy. It wasn't a life coach. It wasn't deep reflection. It wasn't a great mentor or a spiritual director. And those are great things. Those are good things. A lot of times those are needed things in our lives. But he knew that there was something even higher and greater than all of those good things behind the transformation in his life. Those things are good tools, but he knew that God was doing something even greater behind all of that. And that's the good news that we're going to see here today. All right, so let's read the verses we're going to study here today. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Here's what it says. His divine power has granted to us All things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world 
because of sinful desire. The first thing that Peter shows us here in this little bit is he says there's a divine power behind what's happening in your life. As a Christian, we know that one of the things that we we pray, maybe the first time you ever heard the gospel message, what you heard was, hey, the wages of sin is death. We're all sinners and we need a savior. And so it was laid out to you to explain the fact that you're a sinner. And when you recognize the truth in that, you're like, yeah, actually, I do see my sinful nature, who I am. I'm, I'm naturally broken in some ways and bent towards sin. I can agree with that. I'm a sinner. And then you, you get walked through that, that bit of salvation where they tell you, okay, well, if, if there's sin in your life, the, wage, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the good news of the gospel is that even though you can't take away your sin, Jesus The Son of God came in the flesh to take that sin upon himself to make a way for you to be made righteous and be made right. Okay, that's what we understand. That's what we know. But as we go on and learn more, we realize that we're not just saved so that we're saved and someday after death go to heaven. What we also find is that God is transforming us as we walk with him. That we're supposed to be changing and developing and becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's not easy. That's not something we can pull off on our own. But God knew that. He knew us when we were in our womb. (laughs) He knew that we can't do that on our own. So he sent his spirit to empower us and to begin that work in our hearts and our lives. And it's through his power, his divine power, that we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. So the first question is, how much power does God actually have? What is this divine power? Because we're talking about an impossibility. I already told you, hey, how do you live like a Christian? It seems impossible. It seems like we can't pull this off. Okay, but now we're balancing this out with not your power, but divine power. I'm not going to ask you the question, can God make a boulder that is so heavy that he can't lift it? We're not going to go through all that, okay? God's got power. We know he has power. He's limitless in his power. How strong is he? He's that strong. What does he control? Everything. There's nothing that our God can't do. He makes the impossible possible. I like um, what God himself reminds us um, in scripture as he's speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. Um, In Jeremiah 32, 26, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now when you understand a prophet, The whole job of a prophet is to be a spokesperson for God. He's supposed to be just a human messenger of the word that he hears, and he just passes on the message. And this is what it says in Jeremiah 32, 26. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is like God speaking. He said, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? The reason he spoke that to the people is because the people were wondering that very thing. Well, how strong is God? How in control is he really? How powerful is he? Can he really pull off the things that he says? And that's enough for God to come down and say, okay, guys, (laughs) I'm God. Like, the fact that you're alive, is I, I breathed and everything came into existence. How powerful am I? Is there anything that's too hard for me? The answer is no. There's nothing too hard for me. There's nothing that is impossible with me. That's what Jesus told us. There's nothing impossible with God. 
God's power is limitless. There's no end to it. Everything we know, everything we experience, everything we see was all created by his power. He's not limited. And that same power has granted us the things we need to live the life he's called us to. So even though in your mind you might think it's impossible for me to change this in my heart. It's impossible for me to get rid of this bad habit. It's impossible for me to begin seeing the world this way. It's impossible for me to love other people that are jerks. It's impossible for me to get my temper under control. It's impossible for whatever it might be. It is possible because that same power has, as he says, granted us everything we need for that. Spiritual transformation, not just getting the the willpower to do something different, but to actually change that, what's behind all of that, to really change your heart, the deep level stuff. Spiritual transformation, I say this all the time, requires spiritual power. But what this verse is telling us is that power is available. He's made that power available to you and to me. The power has been given. We don't have a power problem. Our power is divine. And then what does he, he continue to say there? He says he's granted us, with this divine power, he granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us the pertinent ingredients, if you will, for what we need. The raw materials of holiness have been given to us by God. So even if you got in the back of your head, oh, it's impossible to live this way. It's impossible for this to happen. It's ba- uh, no, no, no. God's power has done it. He's given you the ingredients necessary. And it's by his grace. What are some of those things that he's given to us that help us walk in holiness and actually see transformation in our lives? Well, number one, he gave us a savior, his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came and said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He came from the Father to us. He gave us a Savior. That leans us towards holiness. Not only that, he gave us a helper, the Holy Spirit. He said, Jesus said, it's better that I leave now, even though I've already made the way and taken care of sin. It's better that I leave because if I leave, I'm going to send my spirit. And my spirit isn't going to be stuck in one place at one time like I was as Jesus in the flesh. Now my spirit is just going to flood the earth. And you're going to have access to my spirit at all times. All right, so he gave us a savior, a helper. He also gave us a path in his word. He gave us a Bible to actually read and to study and understand. These are his words. This is the, the, the path. This is the instruction manual for living. He gave us his word. And finally, he also gave us a people. He gave us each other. He didn't tell us, I want you to be holy as I am holy, and I hope you can pull it off by yourself. No, what he said is, you're going to be holy like I'm holy. And we're like, oh, that's crazy. How am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to tell you how you're going to do that. I'm going to send my son. He's going to show you the way. Then I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to give you the Bible. I'm going to give you the church. I'm going to give you every ingredient that you need to live a life of holiness. So that you can actually do what I'm calling you to do. Now, you might say, well, that's great. It's given by his divine power. We've been given the ingredients that we need. That's all good. But just because we've got the the perfect ingredients doesn't mean that we become a master chef. Okay? 
my daughters like to watch a show. They've not been watching it lately, but they did for a while, the, the British Baking Show. You ever seen any of those kinds of shows? Where they, they call together these amateur bakers, they bring them all into this one place, and they start off by showing them this perfectly baked dessert, whatever it is, a pie, a cupcake, a cream puff, something, usually fancy and beautiful. And they show you that, right? And then they give all these bakers all the ingredients they need. They give them all the right tools, all the right stuff. It's all chopped and prepared for them. They've got all those cool little bowls and, you know, serving utensils and all this stuff. They've got all the ingredients they need. And then they say, go, you do it. Now, is the way that it works is as long as you got the ingredients, as long as you got the tools, then as soon as you put all that stuff together, then bang, it's perfect and it's wonderful and it's glorious just like the, 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 the thing that they first showed you. No, that's the beauty of the show, right? Because you see all the fails and you see the things that they run into trying to pull this off. So just because we know that God's given us by his power these great ingredients, it doesn't guarantee that all of a sudden we're walking in holiness. Just because I give you this message today and say God's given you everything you need for righteousness doesn't mean that this week you're going to walk out there and live like Jesus. I hope you do. But we also realize that there's a lot of other things involved in that, in understanding that and in growing into that person that God's calling us to be. And it can still seem impossible to live a godly life, to answer, as it says there, Jesus' call to his own glory and excellence. We're called to his glory and his excellence? That's what he says there. He says, it's by him, through him, you're called to that kind of glory, that kind of excellence, that life like Jesus. So why is it? Why is it still hard? Because although God has graciously given us all those ingredients, and through the access of his divine power, even though that's all there, what we also find in life are the ingredients of death and fallenness mingled into the world around us. It's one thing if there was nothing but perfect ingredients, all prepared in a perfect environment. Then we might feel like, okay, I got it. It's good. I can do it this way. That's not what we find. We find all sorts of other things. We find our own fallenness. We find the fallenness of other people. We find the spiritual attack of things in the world. There's a lot of other ingredients in this life on this planet that mess that stuff up. Think about it. There's addictive things in this life. Things like drugs, alcohol, gambling, gaming, pornography. These are addictive things. There are sinful actions of people. Uncontrolled anger, gossip. Lying, theft, adultery. There are also broken mindsets, even things within us that aren't right. Things like greed, covetousness, bitterness, lust, hatred. These ingredients are in the world too. So even though we've been given everything we need for a life of godliness, we still have to sort through the other stuff that is constantly bombarding us. That's part of what we're, we're, we're going through. 
And even though that path to righteousness, glory, and excellence is before us, so is the path to wickedness. For, for some of you who are a little younger um, in, in this room today, and there's several of you too, this is the thing that your parents are always telling you, right? If you're living at home right now. Actually, I suppose it's probably this way no matter how old you are if you're living at home. If you're living at home, your parents are always going to tell you some things. And a lot of what they're telling you is, hey, the decisions you make now in life matter. There are two paths that you can live in this life. And there's a path towards wickedness and death, and there's a path toward righteousness and life. And part of the reasons that parents are always after their kids and telling them these things is because they don't want them to go down the same path that they went down. Make the same mistakes they made. They, they can tell you from this other point of, okay, I've, I've got the scars to show what I did in this way. I've got the, the bad mistakes, the bad habits. I've got the things that I'm still trying to rip out of my own life and heart that if you can start now on the right path, you can avoid a lot of these pitfalls and a lot of these mistakes. That's why it's there. We want joy and peace for our kids. We want you to have the glorious, perfect life like Jesus. That's what we want. Now, go back to verse 4, and and he he tells us as we're going through here, he says, by which, referring to Jesus' excellence and glory, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, these precious and great promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Now, the next thing that I want us to look at here is these, what are these promises, these precious and very great promises? Sounds pretty good. Precious, very great promises. He says, this is what we also have. What are those things? We know that Jesus came and defeated sin and death and invited us to come and and drink the water of life. He called us then to follow him. Come and follow him. And as we do that, He says, through that, that through Jesus' excellence and glory, we begin to receive these precious and very great promises. God's promises are glorious. Glorious. What are some of those? Well, we could spend all afternoon reading through some of the promises that God has given his people in Scripture. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to show you six, okay? All from the Gospel of John. I just thought, I'm going to pick one book, and I'm just going to pull some out, all right? So listen to some of these promises that are offered for you, given for you through Jesus. Um, These are all statements of Jesus, by the way. The first one is just that God has promised to give us direction in life. Anybody need any direction in life? Okay, well, here you go. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. A lot of times our lives feel pretty dark and shadowy and cloudy, and we're trying to make sense of it all. Jesus says, you follow me, I'm going to give you a path. I'm going to show you the light. All right, not only that, he's given us eternal life is one of his promises. In John 11, verses 25 to 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In the future, he's going to live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
Now, obviously, Jesus is not saying that means you're not going to die on this earth. You're going to die. Everybody's appointed to die once in this lifetime. But what's he talking about? He's talking about eternal life. He says, after you die in this planet, I'm going to change you. I'm going to renew and restore all things, and you are going to live for eternity. He's promised us eternal life. And in that, part of that is a heavenly reward. John 14, 3. He says, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus did not say, I'm going to give you eternal life and you're going to be this, this ether in the cosmos and you're going to float through galaxies forever and ever and ever. No. What Jesus says is, I'm going to make all things new. That means I'm making a new heaven and a new earth one that is blended together, that is perfect in every way, and you are going to inhabit that. Where I am is going to be there in this new place, and I'm going to go and take you, and you're going to be with me. You're going to have this future in this, this perfect heaven. All right, and then there's three more promises that I want us to look at that are three promises that God makes that anybody would want. Okay, some people hear the thing about eternal life and they're like, I'm not sure about that. Believe it or not. A lot of people say, I want to live as long as I can. Other people are like, no, I've had enough. Like, just count me out. Some people would say, well, I don't don't want Jesus telling me what to do. I don't want his path. I want to forge my own path. So some of those promises are not like good promises. But these last three, peace, love, and joy, everybody wants those things. I don't care what background religiously they have or no religious background, what faith they are, agnostic, atheist, everybody wants peace, love, and joy. But these are promises that Jesus said, I'm going to give to you as my followers. Look what he says, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is one of those very great, precious promises that God has given to his people. He says, I want to give you peace. Next, love. John 15, 8. He says, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus says, if you're in me and I'm in you, The love that the Father has for me and the love that I have for the Father is the same love that I'm going to pour into you. I'm going to give you love. And finally, joy. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These are the promises that God has for us. This is the sort of life God wants you to be able to live. A life that is full of these things, of these promises. And and what's happening here? Jesus has made promises of relationship with him. That's what it's all hinging on. And when we're in right relationship with him, our lives are changed. We're not independent of Jesus. It's dependent upon Jesus. Let's just look at this last phrase here as we finish up. The last phrase, he says, after you've you've enjoyed those, those promises... He says that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. What I'm trying to get you to see, this entire argument here, is that even though our natural response when I ask you, 
Is it possible to live a life of a Christian? Or actually what I asked you was, is it difficult? Is it hard? Our answer is yes. And I told you that a lot of times we get to the spot where we're like, yeah, it's so hard. I've been trying so hard in so many ways. I can't seem to pull it off. It's impossible. What I'm trying to tell you is, what the Bible says is, no, it's not impossible. Instead, it is possible by the power of God that you can do that as you grab onto these promises. Why? So that you can become partakers of the divine nature. This is holiness. He's saying, I want you to become these people. I want you to be transformed people. I want you to enjoy a divine nature, the new nature. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated baptism. Many of you were there. It was a wonderful time. We're, we baptized eight people. And, and as we talked about baptism, even the week before that, I said what was happening in baptism is it's a representation of moving from death underwater to life, new life. And we talk about when we're changed as Christians, we get a new nature. It's no longer the fallen nature. It's now a divine nature. It's a God-given nature. It's who you were actually designed to be in the first place. God didn't design people to be fallen, broken people. We sinned and broke ourselves. That wasn't what he desired. He desired us to be people that are made in his image, with his nature. And that's what it tells us in Romans 6, 6 to 8. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Here's why Peter would write this. He's in jail. He's hearing the rumors with the prison guards or whatever. He's finding out from the Lord himself, look Peter, you're not going to be here much longer. There's an axe with your name on it. And we're going to come and get you. And as Peter is thinking about, okay, what's the last things that I need to write? What do I need to tell people? One of the things that he wants to encourage us with is he wants to say, listen, you can live a holy life. Your life can truly be changed. You don't have to stay stuck in these patterns. You can be free. And not only had he seen his own life change, but he had witnessed other people's lives change. And he knew that this power and these promises were all that was needed to partake of the divine nature. All that remains is our obedience. That's what we're going to study next week. All right? And as we finish here this week, I'm going to read you one more more passage from Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. This is how Paul reinforces the same thing that Peter is saying here. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's the people without God. In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Guys, remember this today. God has done the impossible. God makes the impossible possible. And that feeling that you're not sure if you can actually walk this way and put on the new self, the Bible tells us over and over again, yes, you can. You can be set free from these things. You can walk in holiness and honor before God. Yes, lots of people around you will not. Most people around you probably will not. And they, they don't even know that they're not. It's an ignorance. He's not saying this in a disparaging way. It's, they don't know any better. They're still lost in, in, in darkness. But he says, it is possible. He made a way when there was no way. That should be enough as we finish up here today and start shifting into another time of worship. That should be enough for your hearts and your minds to glorify God, to praise God. When you recognize this truth and you understand what's happening here, you realize why we praise his name in a time of worship. This is why people lift their hands up at church when they're singing songs of praise to God. Why? Because they're looking for another way to say, thank you, God, you've done this. It's not because they think, you're looking for the holy people? I'm right up here. I'll just look for my hands. You'll know that I'm the one who's got it together. No, that's not what it's about, right? It's, it's an act of worship, a physical representation of, Lord, it's you, you've done it. It's why other people will bow down before God because they realize, wow, I could not pull this off, but he could, and he did. It's why we honor God with our time and our energy and our resources and our money and our bodies. It's why we do those things. He alone has offered us the escape, as it says there, from corruption and death. He's the one that gives us life. And so as we finish here this morning, I wonder if you could pray that impossible prayer. The impossible prayer that says, Lord, I do ask the impossible. Make me holy. Can you pray that prayer? Have you ever prayed that? It feels almost like sacrilegious to say, God, make me holy, just like Jesus. <laughs> right? But that's what he calls us to. And so, even though in your mind, you might have always said, well, that's for those other people. They didn't screw up in life like I did. No, no, no. What he says is, he says, pray the prayer. Rest in the power of God to do this thing in your heart. Pray that prayer. Lord, make me holy. I believe God, help my unbelief. Give me a heart of obedience. Break the strongholds in my body and in my spirit and in my soul. Help me cling to these precious and very great promises by the excellence and glory of Jesus. Amen.